Uh, we're reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, on page 946 of the church um, Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise for spiritual blessings in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through, the, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. I forgot we had a height difference, Eric. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at this part of the Bible, we pray that you would grow our trust in you. Lord, please help us to allow your word to change us and to shape us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What is it that defines you as a person? What is it that makes you who you are? Is it perhaps the fact that you're a Queenslander? Is that what defines you? Your state of origin? You may, you know, shy away from wanting to be defined in that way, but there's points in this year where people will think of you that way, no matter whether you like it or not. And as Queenslanders, there is a lot to live up to. Queenslanders have this reputation for being fairly robust, stubborn. They just keep bouncing back. Um, they'll win in... Oh, hang on, we're not talking about football. No fiddling around is also what Queenslanders are like. We, there's no messing about with a Queenslander. Down to earth... Also, maybe we do our own thing too. I mean, we don't mind being an hour behind the rest of Australia. It doesn't worry us one bit. 
In fact, the rest of Australia might say that we're five years or ten years behind the rest of them, but that doesn't worry us one bit. And when you travel interstate, you feel even more of a Queenslander and you really want to get home. Is it your state of origin that defines who you are? Are you a Queenslander? Or maybe it's your uh, choice of career path that defines you. I mean, just pretend for a minute that you have chosen the path of being an engineer. I mean, the qualities of an engineer, the exceptional qualities, the, just the logical way of being able to solve problems and not spell, it's, maybe that is what defines who you are. Um, yeah, perhaps you don't work in that field anymore. Perhaps you're a, now a consultant or a programmer or a church minister or something. But you bring all those engineering qualities into your current tasks, don't you? So maybe is that your identity? Does your career path identify who you are? But then how can you be an engineer and a Queenslander? Maybe, maybe that means first of all you're a Queenslander and then you're an engineer, so you're a Queensland engineer. Or maybe the South way around. Maybe you're an engineer who happens to come from Queensland. Which way does it go? When you think about your identity, it gets quite complicated, doesn't it? Perhaps it's not your state of origin or your career path. Maybe it's the fact that you are a Blenko. Maybe that is what defines you. I mean, Blenkos have particular characteristics that make us different. And every time you meet together and have a family gathering, you kind of reinforce your Blenko-ness as you share those stories and look at those family photos and all those stories about boarding school and so on, that shared history reinforces the fact of the blinkoness that you, ha you have. You can hear what I'm saying, can't you? Like our identity, are you a Queenslander? Are you an engineer? Are you a Blinko? It, it's all sorts of things that define us. Shared experiences, um, whether it's living through a global pandemic or being a minister's kid or being a recent immigrant from Germany, perhaps. These things, they define us. You can't break it. It's, it's who you are. Um, or maybe it's the responsibilities and the relationships that we, we are part of that define us. You know, are you a wife or a husband? Are you a brother or a sister, an uncle or an aunt, a daughter or a son? There's so many things which define us and shape us and who we are influences how we make decisions, what we choose to do and how we do it. It's all bound up in our identity and who we are. And so as Christians, as Christians, what we want to say is that it's our faith in Christ. It's the fact that we are a son of, and daughter of, of God. That, that is what defines us. That is the primary thing. So, yeah, sure, you might be a Queenslander, but you're a Christian who happens to be a Queenslander. You might have chosen a very good career path, but you are a Christian who works in that field. You might be a husband or a wife or a, or a son or a daughter, but you are a Christian in that setting. That's what we want to say, isn't it? At least that's the theory. But the reality, it gets a whole lot more complicated because of competing interests, deadlines at work maybe, pressure from friends. You know, we make decisions which aren't really in line with who we are, what our identity is. And so it is always good to open God's word and be reminded of our identity our true identity in Christ, and we need these reminders. As you're reading through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that's what you'll see, and as you look at the passage for today, that's what you'll get, a reminder of who you are in Christ as a Christian, someone who trusts in Jesus. 
I'm reading the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Yes, it ought to give you this comprehensive reminder of your identity. So Ephesians 1 verses 1 to 4, Paul, he launches into this overwhelming praise of God. And through it, there's this thorough reminding, reminder of who we are in Christ. And as we read these verses, um, we see that we have certainty of forgiveness We have hope for the future. We're adopted as God's children. And as you contemplate God's word like this, it informs and shapes and rearranges your thinking, ready to go out for another week and come back at church the next week, which lets me do a bit of an aside here. So this is the point where having public holidays on a Monday is a good thing because I don't meet with uh, Tom and Reich and Steve and they can't critique the sermon. So now I can... I'm always shorter, okay? So today I'm taking back some of that, you know, that time. As the minister of the church, it's my job to open the Bible like we're doing today. It's my privilege to be able to explain the Bible to you and try to help us understand how it applies to our lives, how it applies to us as a church, how it applies to our world. But the opportunity you get um, to listen to a sermon, it's only once a week, you know, 20 minutes most weeks, 30 minutes when Steve Young preaches. So can I encourage you to... Read the Bible for yourself. And it's not just encourage you, it's urge you to read the Bible for yourself. Um, On the back of the notice sheet, you see there's the growth groups. There's another opportunity to read the Bible with others, to question each other, help each other understand the Bible Bible better. Growth groups, they run for, you know, four, seven-week blocks. It's only 28 weeks of the year. There's 52 in the year, by the way. So... Church on Sunday, growth group during the week, that's barely an hour a week with the Bible open. You need to read the Bible for yourself. You need to open the Bible for yourself. You might want to meet with someone else from church. You could do that before church. You can do it outside here and watch the chaos of set up for church while you read the passage before church together. There's another opportunity to encourage each other and to open God's word and have God's word remind you of your identity in Christ. But when you do open the Bible for yourself presuming that you do, how do you do it? How do, you, how do you go about reading the Bible? What about picking chunks? So what about reading two chapters of the Old Testament, one chapter of the New, working your way through two books at a time? Go to the front of your contents page and tick off what you're reading. Why not do that? That's something. That'll let you start to think about God's word. But maybe, as well as that, pick one book of the Bible for this term and actually try to unravel it, get a commentary, unpack what that book of the Bible is saying. And here I'll give you, if if you're not doing that at the moment, I'll give you an idea. How about you pick on Colossians this term? So it's not what we're doing at church. It's not going to be what you're looking at in growth group. It's another book of the Bible. Why Colossians? Well, because Colossians and Ephesians are kind of, they're parallel in many ways. There's these similarities between the two. If you read Colossians on your own or with someone else, get yourself a notebook, take down notes, write questions, maybe print the, passage, print the book out with a big wide margin so you can write all through it, scribble notes all over it. And let me give you a few things to get you started, get you interested in Colossians. There is a, this credible theory that you know, Colossians was written first and Ephesians was written as the, the expanded version, perhaps. Um, test that out for yourself. Have a look, see if you think that's possible. Um, The theory goes like this. In Colossians, it seems that there are particular concerns being addressed, false teaching and so on, whereas in Ephesians, it's more general. 
maybe written for a more general audience. You can be a bit more specific with this. There's two features in the passage for today, so we're starting to get back onto the sermon again. Those 10 minutes don't count in any sermon feedback. Um, there's particular features in this passage in Ephesians that might support that idea. So firstly, when you look at chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see there's a footnote. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus to, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, footnote down the bottom of the page, some early manuscripts do not have in Ephesus. So the New Testament was written in Greek, copied, 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 and some of the earliest, most reliable versions or copies don't actually have in Ephesus there. You don't be too put out by that. These things happen because some people copy better than others. But keep that thought in mind. Then you look at 1 verse 15, it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, if you've read Acts, so Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and then he wrote Acts, if you've read Acts, you read through chapters 19 and 20, you'll see that Paul spent two years in Ephesus. How could he not know them? How would he just be hearing about their faith? He would have lived it with them. So you look at verse 15, it's this general statement, and 1 verse 1, maybe it isn't to Ephesus, you put those things together and the theory is Colossians was there already, Ephesians was the the expanded version to circulate among other churches. There you go. Have I got you interested in having a look through Colossians? Maybe. Maybe not. I hope I have. But let's get back to the sermon for today. So we're looking at verses 1 to 14. And now that we're back on track again, rest assured we can move fairly quickly because the bulk of this is just one sentence. So verses 1 and 2 introduce the letter. Verses 3 through to 14 in the Greek, it's just one sentence. There you go. And you've got a sermon outline to follow along to help as well. What I've said in introducing this passage, though, is that as you read the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, you get this comprehensive reminder of our identity in Christ. You look at these, this opening chapter and this, this overwhelming praise, almost contagious praise of God. Have a look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you might translate that, blessed be God, but praise works. And when you look through the passage, you'll see praise is echoed more times, down in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, or verse 12, for the praise of his glory, or at the end of the passage, verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So one long sentence in the Greek, praising God. That's what Paul's doing. He praises God in such a way that you want to join in and praise God as well. But why? Why are you praising God? If you look at verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. We've been blessed by God, and therefore we ought to praise him. And then there's three qualifications to the way that we should praise God in verse 3. He says, in the heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's how We've been blessed. Blessed in the heavenly realms, blessed with every spiritual blessing and blessed in Christ. We praise God because of that, because he has blessed us. Um, the word order is a bit different in the Greek and so that's the way we'll see it in your, in your sermon outline. I've lost my track of these silly things, that'll do. Um, we praise God because he's blessed us. Um, three ways he's blessed us. You'll see in the sermon outline, the word order is different because in the Greek, this is the word order. Um, firstly, God's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And as you look through 4 to 14, he unpacks what that exactly is, every spiritual blessing. Concluding in verses 3 to 4, 
that he's given us, God has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, assurance that we belong to God. So we praise God because we have every spiritual blessing. Second qualification for how we praise God is we praise God in the heavenly realms. And when you think about the heavenly realms, we kind of default to thinking, yeah, where God is, being with God in heaven. That's what we default to. But just, you know, let it move around a bit. What this means, to, what in the heavenly realms means, let the rest of the letter inform and shape that because it comes up again numerous times. Um, for example, I'll give you a few tips. So 1 verse 20, Jesus is raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. No surprises there. 2 verse 6, Christians are raised up with Christ and seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. Or down in verse chapter 3 verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known through the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms starting to shape what you think of as the heavenly realms, isn't it? Sure, in the heavenly realms, it's where Jesus is. It's where we're included. But there's these other authorities there. A bit odd. And down in chapter 6, verse 20, which we will eventually get to in about eight weeks' time, 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The real battle that Christians fight is one in the heavenly realms. But back in chapter 1, we'll get to think about in, in the heavenly realms later through Ephesians, but here in chapter 1, the reason we praise God is that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And the third way our um, praise is qualified, or well, the way we're blessed is qualified, is that we're united in Christ. You'll see it... Um, there in verse 3, and you'll also see it unpacked in verses 3 to 14. Every blessing we have comes through being united in Jesus, putting your trust in Jesus, relying on his death and the power of his resurrection. Um, our identity in Christ is bound up with being in him, united in him. And it's our identity in Christ which shapes everything about us. It's always timely to be reminded of these things and that's what's happening as we read this part of Ephesians. Um, reading the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, yes, it ought to give us this comprehensive reminder of who we are and as we understand who we are, we're driven to join Paul in praising God for the way that God has blessed us. The rest of the passage that we're looking at, what it does is it unpacks what it means for us to be blessed. Um, he reassures us um, that we can be certain of forgiveness, sure of the future, and adopted as his children. So if you look at verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he's freely given us in the one he loves. God has had a sovereign hand in our lives from before creation. It says we've been chosen and adopted. I mean, you look through the pages of the Old Testament, you can see there what it means for God to choose someone. I mean, think about Abraham. God just picked him. Out of all the people on earth, he picked Abraham, chose him. And then of Abraham's children, God chose Isaac. 
And of Isaac's children, he chose Jacob, changed Jacob's name to Israel, made a nation of people that belonged to him. The Old Testament shows us what it's like for God to elect, for God to choose, for God to single people out. Paul's saying that as Christians, we are chosen, singled out, predestined, adopted to sonship, it says. God chooses to make us part of his family purely by his grace. Not because of anything we've done, not because we deserve it. And it's easy to get you know, tied up in knots thinking about how does this work? How can God have the right to do that? How does... But that's not the point here. The point here is Paul's encouraging you that as a Christian, God has chosen you. He's just holding this out as reassurance, as a positive thing. As Christians who are in Christ, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. And that includes that you have been chosen and adopted. In verse 7, you've been redeemed. In him, you have redemption through Jesus' blood, through his blood, for the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It's all God's doing. The fact that you can be forgiven, reconciled with God, redeemed, it's all God's doing through the blood of Jesus. And the rest of verses 8 through to 10 keep unpacking this for us. In God's grace, he's shown us the full scope of his plans and his purposes. So if you look at verse 8, it finishes with all wisdom and understanding. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. You've got this look at you know, God's master plan that runs from eternity to eternity. The master plan is to see everything brought together under Jesus. Um, it's spoken of in verse 9 as a mystery, not as in a mystery that you know, doesn't make sense, can't be understood, but a mystery as in something which was secret, now made known, and this word mystery, it comes up later, so I don't have to explain it fully today. But at its heart, it's the idea that Jew and Gentile are all united under Jesus. Everything's brought under Jesus in verse 10. So Paul's reminding the Ephesians who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, um, it speaks to a wider audience, though. We hear it ourselves as, as people who have put our trust in Jesus. We're blessed in Christ, blessed in the heavenly realms, blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been chosen, we've been adopted, we've been redeemed and forgiven. We're part of the people that God has chosen to show his plans and purposes. And then the final few verses reassure us that um, we are secure in Christ, both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, secure in Christ. As we read these verses, um, you'll hear we and you. I take it Paul's kind of referring to them, like the Jews and the Gentiles, the nations. Um, We also hear this echo of to the praise of God's glory. Jews and Gentiles are united in Christ to God's glory. So if you look at verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might also be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing Jew, Gentile, united in Christ. And you notice too the balance between God's calling or God's choosing, so predestination, and the fact that there there's a genuine real response in verse 13. They've heard the gospel. 
they've responded. The Bible does that. It holds God's choice in tension with the fact that we actually have a choice to make and just leaves it hanging there. You've got to balance those two truths. As we praise God, we praise God for making it possible for us to choose to put our trust in Jesus. The fact you can do that is because God has allowed it to happen. And that's where we kind of you know, pull up stumps in Ephesians for this week. We come back into verse 15 next week. But as you look across verses 3 to 14, it's just one sentence in the Greek, one sentence of praise to God, praising God for the way that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. If you were to do your, your kind of your background reading, so if you're working your way through Colossians as well, and you do your background reading, you read through the book of Acts, and you get the kind of the context into which these letters came. So when you read through Acts verses 19 to 20, you get this taste of who Paul was writing to. You meet the Ephesians. For the Ephesians, they lived in you know, a Roman-dominated city with a temple, a temple of Artemis kind of overshadowing everything. And if you've ever been over that side of the world and seen these temples, they're massive. So they lived under the shadow of a temple to Artemis with people openly practicing their sorcery, people who were angry at Jews and opposed to Christians. I'm sorry, angry Jews who were opposed to Christians. So what Paul's doing is, as he writes this letter to be shared around that area, he's writing to these Christians, I guess a minority group, living under the shadow of everything Roman. They could stand against the pressures of the world, the pressure being put on them knowing their true identity in Jesus. As you kind of let that sink in, yeah, it does help us think about our situation. We live in a different time. We live in a different place, a different setting. But the same truth comes through. We're being reminded of our identity in Christ. And so what about you? Where, where are you up to? Where is your identity? If you look, as you look through the passage, are you thinking, yeah, that's me. That's me. I hope it is. Does verse 13 describe you? Is this you in these, this verse? Have you put your trust in Jesus, responded appropriately to the gospel of Jesus? Are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, do you understand your identity? Is that what shapes everything else about you? Is that what shapes the type of Queenslander you are, the type of engineer or whatever, the type of husband or wife? Is it the fact that we belong to Jesus that shapes your decisions, the choices you make and the way you do the things you do? And as you look through these verses, are you encouraged to praise God with Paul? Let's pray that we are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are worthy of all our praise. We praise you because as Christians you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Lord God, please continue to shape us and change us. Please continue to show us and remind us what it means to be united in Christ, to be seated with him in the heavenly realms. Lord, please help us to help each other to be sure of these things. Lord, we pray for anyone here who's wondering where they're at with you. Lord, we pray that you would be merciful and kind and allow them to understand the truth of the gospel and put their trust in you. And we pray that we'd be able to help each other in these things. We pray in your name. Amen.